This podcast is sponsored by CarePlus Home Health. You just visited with mom and dad, and you notice that their age might finally be catching up with them. CarePlus is your perfect solution. Headquartered in Montgomery County, CarePlus provides affordable in-home care and nursing services all throughout Maryland and the District of Columbia. CarePlus offers a number of services to support your loved ones, including personal care, companionship, meal preparation, and so much more. They can help with running errands and managing doctor visits. Visits. They can take mom to the beauty salon or dad to a movie. And CarePlus specializes in Alzheimer's and dementia care. An experienced CarePlus caregiver is the best way to support mom and dad's needs, leaving your family with peace of mind. Call CarePlus today at 301-740-8870. Tell them you heard about this ad on a minor detailed podcast and you will receive a special discount. Call today at 301 740 8870 and check them out online at careplusinc.com. Good evening. It is October 17th, 2019. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. You can find me on the web at a minordetailpodcast.com and a minordetail.com where I cover Maryland news and politics. I have with me today Rockville City Councilman Mark Prashela. Did I say that right? Oh, good. Where's that? What is the, uh, the the genesis of his last name? What's the basis? It's Polish. It's Polish? So the long last names. It could have been Well, Councilman, welcome to the podcast for the first time. You said offline you've done other podcasts, but via a phone, so you should be a pro at this. Yes, uh, I, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think you'll do just fine. So, uh, it's an election year. You are in the midst of another election. You first were elected in 2009 to the Rockville City Council, and then you took some time off and came back in 15, and you've been on the council ever since then, and you're running for re-election, and you're part of a slate Team Rockville, is that correct? Or, uh, team Rockville, okay. I interviewed one of your slate colleagues this morning, uh, David Miles, and uh, you're running um, with alongside... Two others, is that correct? Two other council members, mm-hmm. uh, James Hedrick and Cynthia Cotty Griffiths, plus Virginia Onley running for mayor. Okay, and so you have your team picked out. And what's what's um, what made you decide to go? Have you slated before, or I, they, he called it a different phrase this morning? It's a it's committee. A yeah. According to city law, it's called a committee, but uh, popularly it's known as a slate. A slate. <laughs> and uh, we actually ran the first team Rockville slate in 2013. And this is the third uh, Team Rockville that's run, and it's the first time we've had an official slate running against us. Okay. Plus five other people. So the forward Rockville forward or forward Rockville, is that right? It's Rockville forward. Okay, so they're running and on a, a different set of ideas, but it seems to be, everybody seems to be getting along. <laughs> There's no... The, the forums are very cordial, and, and you know, we, um, we're not digging at each other. Yeah. Even the mayoral part of it's got back to allow uh, you know everybody to answer two or three questions. So we're not seeing a lot of differentiation during the forums themselves. Um, we're often using the same language to describe different things. So I think it's very hard for people to pick up the differences between the sleeves. Um, so we have an opportunity today to talk in a long form, and I'm going to make sure I get you out of here by six o'clock because you have another event tonight at seven o'clock at the Presbyterian Church and. It's a, another one of those forums. How many more of these things do you have? 
citizen association forum this evening. Then we have one more at Inkeen Farm. I think that's about it. Okay, so you're probably formed out. <laughs> yeah, it's been worse. I mean, it, we've had as many as 10 or 12. Wow, that's a lot. So here we are. It's uh, You're running for re-election, and you've been on the council through a lot of different changes. And But first, if you probably need very little introduction to Rockville City voters since you've been doing this for quite some time. But I'm interested to learn about who you are, your background, and a little bit more about what what makes you tick. Okay, sounds good. So let's talk about your where, where you're from this area here in uh, Montgomery County. Tell me a little bit about where you're born and raised. Yeah, so I was born in South Bend, Indiana, and grew up in Niles, Michigan, just across the border from South Bend. So I'm a Midwesterner. Hmm. Came to this area after graduating from university, uh, and um, then I went back to school in the Midwest at Michigan State for a master's in statistics. Went to the Peace Corps, then ended back up uh, eventually in this area again. Stati- so I got to tell you, I'm I'm almost finished my MBA at Mount St. Mary's, and I'm taking a statistics class mm-hmm. beginning this Thursday, and I'm I'm sweating it. <laughs> I'm sweating it. Uh, advice? Um, Please. Read ahead, do your homework, ask questions. Okay, so that's that's excellent advice, and I'm I'm not I'm not too worried. But uh, it's been a while since I've taken a college level statistics class, and we had a little refresher course, and I'm thinking, oh, back to probabilities. But what's most interesting to me is we get to talk about polling, and uh, we get to talk about the mechanics of polling. Speaking of which, there hasn't been any polling for this race at all. Not usually for a city race like this. Yeah. There's not enough money in it, in the race, to, to pay for a pollster. I, I just, and, and polling is very difficult these days. I mean, the, the response rates are really in the pits. It takes a very uh, sophisticated polling organization anymore to pull it off, even at the national level. So tell me about your career. What, what kind of work have you been in for uh, the duration of your time spent in the professional workforce? statistician with the Department of Agriculture, and I left that in 1996 to work at Westat, uh, a company, uh, a research company in Rockville, and uh, there I was a systems analyst, but, but and then I worked mathematical policy research as a survey methodologist, so I, I'm very much in the survey-taking world of things like employment statistics, health statistics. I'm currently supporting a project that's interviewing people for opioid misuse. Hmm. Wow, that's a big issue these days. And is that is opioids come before this city council? Have you talked about any of the opioid prevention or working to um, to stop the overdosing? Of uh, certainly, we joined lawsuits against uh, some of these uh, pharmaceutical companies, and we uh, recently had a opioid awareness uh, campaign, uh, Rockville Going Purple. Uh, that's still ongoing. Um, but you know, it's a uh, it's just such a national issue, and you know, the pharmaceutical companies got away with a lot. Now they're just—it's a pity that it has to be taken care of through lawsuits. But that's what's happening. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, it's there. There, we're talking about billions of dollars in settlements, and that seems to be a a major issue for several municipalities all throughout Maryland. My hometown of Hagerstown. Um, my friend Emily Keller, who's on the council. She's really pushing forward opioid addiction and combating that and using resources and 
making it a collaborative effort. And I, I see that as so important, especially where in Hagerstown in Western Maryland, where there's a there's a, a massive misuse of opioids up in that region. Yeah, and, and we've seen it throughout uh, rural America, small town America. Ohio oh. has been just slammed with it. Yeah. Uh, certain localities in West Virginia and Virginia. It, it really um, depends a lot on the distribution in the local area, but, but uh, some uh, drugstores were distributing far more than they had population to distribute to. Yeah. It's all about making money. Councilman, you, um, this is, you've been in the thick of, of, of the Rockville City Council uh, the, uh, just for the last several years. And running for re-election, um, I'm sure as an incumbent, it's a little bit easier, I would imagine. People know you. They, they're familiar with you, and they see you. Are you, what's your strategy this time? Any different? Are you going out and hitting the doors and meeting constituents wherever? Mm-hmm. And I haven't spent a lot of personal time knocking on doors, but you're correct. People, if they voted before, they know who I am. But this is a big difference. We have vote by mail, mm-hmm. and there's approximately 20,000 households that have at least one voter, and it's now so easy to vote. It's, you get the ballot in the mail, you fill it in, you put it in a, in a post box, and off it goes. So I feel, we all feel, we have to hit all 20,000 households somehow. Yeah. You can't do that by knocking, you have to do it by mail. How did the council determine this course of action to instead moving to the vote by mail? This is an experiment. I know that other municipalities around our country have used this. What made you decide to, to tap into this method for voting? Are you, are you thinking that it's going to increase voter turnout since all Rockville registered voters are mailed a ballot with prepaid postage and they can simply just send it back in? You, are you are you confident that it will work? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And um, you know, the board of supervisors of elections and the city clerk's office—they've been very professional about it. They have consulted with those who have done it before. They they've uh, done extraordinary homework on it. They've executed uh, excellently, as far as I can see. So, come November fifth, fingers crossed. We're hoping that voter turnout in these municipal elections, which are historically low voter turnout, uh, would, would see that increase in, in, your, uh, in talking to con- different constituents and meeting with uh, folks, I guess, at the forums, too. Have you heard uh, an increase in voter uh, sentiments? They're, they're, they're actually interested in coming out this time since it's a little bit easier to do it. So you joined a, a committee that is, I don't want to say you're, up, you're what you are opposite of the mayor of, of, of Rockville, but you're looking at your approach to local governments just slightly different. Could you break down the differences between Team Rockville and the other committee? 
I, I think one is all around um, where we allow housing and, and what kind of density we allow. For example, we're at the Rockville Memorial Library right in the middle of Rockville Town Square in the middle of Rockville Town Center. And this area struggled. And we, the city spent maybe $50 million as its share in building up the town square. And it struggled ever since it's come online over a decade ago. And we see a big churn in stores and um, Urban Land Institute just did a study and they're saying we really need uh, less retail space in this area and more residential. And it's that more residential that's the difference. And uh, Team Rockville, myself, we've always advocated for uh, more residential near Metro, which Town Square is near Met the Rockville Metro, uh, certainly around Twinbrook Metro. And uh, we, we think there are so many positives to that. Um, not only providing uh, homes for uh, a number of people who, who um, have been priced out of this market now, but, but we get a bigger tax base. We get a whole lot of environmental improvements for those areas. We get uh, transit-oriented uh, people or people who are walking, people who can walk to work. We get better connectivity. There's so many positives to development around metro stations, and we're, we're um, certainly advocating. Uh, we, that's where we need residential. And what is in the other, the other side, the other committee, are they interested in something a little bit different? What's their approach to it, in your op opinion? Well, they, they flat out said, at least four of the five, that they do not want to see more red lights on town center. And that's really uh, a shame. So how are we going to pay for it? I mean, how are they going to continue to get people down here? Well, that's, they just think uh, Federal Realty needs to do a better job of getting stores, but it's kind of a... You know, what's the foundational issue? The foundational issue is it's hard to attract great retailers if you don't have a natural critical mass of people that, for them, it's walking out the door and walking two blocks to a store rather than somebody having to drive here and park in a parking garage and then going to a store. Uh, I, I like coming down here. I like bringing my family here. There's there's much to do, and but I, it, I'm also concerned about housing affordability. Want to talk about that issue? Certainly. units, but you really have to talk numbers, and what I pointed out is that um, 90 to 95% of all housing of all types is really provided by the private sector, and there just isn't enough of it, and so if you're adding, uh, you know, two or three hundred units, a thousand units, you're not adding nearly enough. The, the housing prices are just really, um, they're, they're impacting millennials, they're impacting Young adults are impacting um, anybody who wants to buy a home for the first time or rent in this area for the first time. They're impacting seniors who want to downsize. And, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, like we, we have a mortgage for 26 years, and, and what we're paying is far less than what people pay now for a one bedroom apartment for that. It's uh, as much, I'm a soon to be 34 year old guy with a family and i tell you a, a place like rockville town center town square would entice me i would love to live in a place like this i just can't afford it right and can't do it so, so what i've been doing is i'm trying to change the the tone of the language and, and there's been if you utter the word density it, it's really a, a visceral word to a lot of people <laughs> yeah and but why i point out population growth is natural i'm a statistician i know some of demography Population has been a human uh, condition ever since the first people walked this earth. And 
you know, people are going to live somewhere, so where are they going to live? You, you either go up, for example, near Metro. We've seen a lot of ad hoc housing in our traditional neighborhoods where somebody will buy a house and make it into an ad hoc boarding house. It could even be illegal, but it's very hard to root out. Or people go north to live and you get sprawl. And sprawl is really a disaster. We're fighting now uh, I-270 widening. It's already 12 lanes through Rockville. Governor's proposing up to 16 lanes with uh, high uh, toll lanes for people who can afford to pay. That's ridiculous. You said you're fighting. Does that mean the council and the mayor collectively, are you all on board against the, the governor's plan? Well, I, I, I think there are nuances there. Um, we certainly all are on board against widening the footprint. And uh, widening 270. Right. I mean, the footprint of 270, but, but you have to realize that widening can mean a few different things. It's 12 lanes now, but if you go to 16 lanes within the same footprint, that's also kind of widening. And, and I think there's just a lot of negative impacts to that. On your website, you said that you led the awareness effort in 2018 that alerted neighborhoods of the plans to widen I-270 to 16 lanes, and you continue to lead the fight against the negative impacts of the I-270 widening. There's a concept out there known as induced demand. You probably have talked a lot about that. It, tell me what is your plan or your your committee's plan to address some of these major infrastructure breakdowns. And I think we're at a crisis with traffic now. I think we're at a real crisis. Well, traffic, there is a real crisis with, with traffic. And there's no question there's, a, there's an issue out there. And certainly if you're commuting by car up and down I-270, you've got an issue. The problem is um, we build more lanes. We may fix a problem for five or 10 or 15 years, but we get back the same problem. And every time, you mentioned induced demand, but every time you, you build the highways, you know, the developers further north um, will just build more houses because they will claim, well, now you have a highway we can drive down. You can get to D.C. in 35 minutes. Well, that might last for a while. But, but their plan is to, you know, to have these variable toll lanes like we've seen in Virginia. And, and basically, they only work by keeping most people jammed up. They're, you have no incentive to take the variable toll lanes. Oh, they're empty. Many of them are empty. I, I've seen. I, you mean the variable toll lanes? Yeah. Yes, and um, so so it's a. If your company's paying that toll, that's fine. If you're rich, that's fine. But it only works by keeping most people jammed up. They I would, find that very offensive. And the new, the governor's proposal would be to widen the uh, Interstate 270, adding toll lanes. But all the the new lanes that he would add would be funded by the tolls and. So if, if not tolls, not widening, are you pushing a, an emphasis on transit? And, and well, I certainly push, have always pushed an emphasis on transit. As you know, I bike around the city of Rockville. That's my yeah. way of getting around the city uh, year-round as long as weather allows, which it usually does. Um, but when I worked in D.C., it was always transit, either the Mark train or, or Metro. Uh, if I go to a baseball game, it's on transit. Are you a Nats fan? I am. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I could tell. I knew you were a Nats fan when you walked in. I could just. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I predicted uh, as a Memorial Day parade here that the Nats would come back. I'm rooting for those Nats, and I'll tell you, as a Red Sox fan, born and raised, uh, you got to root for the home team. And I've never seen anything like this, and this is one of the greatest sports, hist sports stories in history. I love it. Yeah, and, you know, they just never gave up. 
You know, so, so there's something to say about the human spirit of, of keeping positive, of, of um, having a plan, and Rizzo always has a plan. <laughs> and Dave and Martinez, uh, you know, he, uh, people have doubts about him, um, but he believed in himself, and he believed in his approach. He never, he never wavered, so I, I find that very compelling. Well, as a guy from the Midwest, um, look, I, I grew up in Hagerstown and born and raised, and baseball was always my sport. Is baseball your favorite sport? Yeah, I, it's there's something classic and and uh, all American about it, and we were lucky in Hagerstown to have the Hagerstown Suns. Of course, we ventured down to Frederick Keys. So, Councilman, I know this is this might be a big idea, but when's Rockville getting that minor league team? <laughs> well, there's been proposals, and you know, but it's uh, you have to have a place for it. Yeah, and, uh, I don't think you have any space, do you? Wouldn't that be something, though, for Montgomery County to get a minor league baseball team? It, it could be, sure. I, I think it would be huge. I, I, I would love to see that. Um, in addition to transit, just back to the infrastructure issue, biking, I, I'm, what's your plan on adding bike lanes, or I guess safer bike lanes, so pedestrians and bikers and motorists can all peacefully coexist in harmony? ask you this question based on your experience as a member of the council there's several different neighborhoods that make up different people do you does does each individual neighborhood of course it has its own character but i'm sure they bring different concerns to the council and one of what do you want to address some of those issues that that i guess the various neighborhoods and communities throughout this city um have brought to you over the years Wow. City once, and, that, and when I walked it, it was over 200 walking trips, over 500 miles, um, and I took 30,400 images on my cell phone. Oh my gosh. And it's very well documented, but I'm very familiar with the nooks and crannies of the city, not only the residential neighborhoods, but the commercial areas, um, and it's very interesting how it all fits together. So, um, you know, there are different uh, parts of the city um, have different issues. Uh, our town center has struggled and struggled and struggled with several various, several versions of it. Um, our town square is very attractive, but it's not that viable at the moment. Um, so we, I think in our town center, we just need more density to make it more vibrant, more sustainable. Uh, if you go east, actually, if you go from east to west in the city, you, you see a big difference. Uh, the eastern part, Quinbrook, East Rockville, came in much sooner, right after World War II. And, you know, they're very nice neighborhoods, but they don't have enough parks, that kind of thing. Their infrastructure's not as good as you go to the west of I-270. Those neighborhoods were built in the late 60s, early 70s, and they're just much better designed neighborhoods. They have all their park infrastructure, um, all the electricity's underground. 
Uh, you see a lot of two-car garages west of I-270. So there's actually a, a gradation of income uh, lower to higher uh, going east to west. Um, some of the outlying neighborhoods claim that they're not paid as much attention as some others. I think there's some truth to that, but we, we have just spent an awful lot of effort on town center. I want to move on to another issue. You talk about yourself being a senior, and I, I would be remiss. I have to do a a brief commercial for my podcast sponsor. And there's a company based in Montgomery County. It's called Care Plus Home Health, and they do home care. They provide home care for aging senior citizens, and they do care, they provide caregivers with aging um, that needs all kinds of different needs of bathing or grooming, uh, personal care, companionship, and they take people to appointments and doctor's offices. So you may, some people may, who may be listening just visited their mom and dad and noticed that their age is catching up. So they decide to call a company like Care Plus to provide some extra care in the home. And you can check them out online at careplusinc.com. And if you give them a call, talk about how to get great home care. And that brings me to the point of senior citizens. There's a lot of great places in Rockville, especially the Rockville Senior Center, for seniors to stay engaged. How have you engaged seniors as a member of the council, and what's your philosophy on keeping seniors active in this community? Right, so uh, I want to point out that um, in my first term in 2010, we had the opportunity to expand the senior center, and that passed three to two, and I voted for it, and Bridget Muted voted against it. Hmm. And um, that was a, a vote that had other ramifications as well. But um, I've always supported the Senior Center. Um, we, we certainly give a property tax credit under certain state guidelines that many seniors can qualify for. Um, we have many senior programs. I think the, the Senior Center itself has five or six major different programs, including the home repair and things like that. But I think it, it's just worth noting that a government, any government can only do so much, and that um, the best thing for seniors is for seniors to have options. If they want to stay in place, they should be able to stay in place. Uh, but if they're if property tax values keep going up, then then they're paying more property tax, even if the rates stay the same, and that impacts them. Um, we see some senior homes going up, but they're very high scale. If you have modest income as a senior, you want to downsize. Well, the, the apartments are very expensive. So I, I think um, it can't be stressed enough that. Our housing prices are probably the biggest impediment to senior success in Rockville, and they, they, they ramify different ways. Senior citizens who, you know, they may have lived in the same place all these years, they're on a fixed income, or if they're moving into Rockville, they simply just can't afford the an apartment. And, right. so, so I think it's worth keeping in mind um, places like Ingleside uh, and others around here, they are really high scale. Yeah, Ingleside King Farm is a, it's a great community. It's, it's a very nice community. I've been in there. So it's like, you got to get a million dollars to get in there. Yeah, but, but you know, if you, if you have modest means. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of seniors who live with stairs in their homes, they have to move up. They can't manage stairs anymore. And then what are their options? Right. And uh, if they can sell their house for a good price, and that helps. But, um, but then they're moving to much less for about the same price. And, and you know, so it's. So, so I, I think the biggest thing we can do for seniors, millennials, for anybody is, is really we need housing that matches demand. 
I talked yesterday, or two days ago rather, with James Hedrick. He mentioned an issue that was never even on my radar, and that's deer control. You talk about it on your website, and you said that you're, you will continue to support methods to control the deer population, and this has been an issue that you've championed since you were elected to the council in 2009. What's going on with the deer in Rockville? humane way to control the population. Um, I hate to see that, but that's just the reality. We do too. Mark, you've been on the council um, now for a number of years, over 10 years. And on the council total of eight years. Eight, oh, okay, eight years. Yeah. So y- you talk about a issue that um, is, is relatively new to my wheelhouse, and you're, you're looking to expand the number of members of the, the council because you think five is not enough. Um, what is enough? Uh, well, I would say minimally six. I personally would go up to eight. Uh-huh. Um, the, the problem is... We've had this number since 1888. Um, it was reconfirmed in the 1950s. Um, but we've grown, you know, from uh, less than a thousand people. Their only white males had the vote mm. in the 1880s. It was 30 some years before women got the vote. And now we're 70,000. We're an incredibly diverse city. Not only diverse in ethnicity and age, but also diverse in housing styles. And you know, when we put together Team Rockville. How do we represent the diversity of the city? And I'm not talking about we have to have one person of that color, one person of that ethnicity, but just even geographically, how do you represent the city? Diversity. It's Rockville is known for its diversity. Montgomery County is known for its diversity. My children, uh, one goes, my son is at uh, uh, Thomas Wooten, daughter's at Frost. We love it. They are surrounded by a diverse population. I didn't have that growing up in Western Maryland, and it might have, in the Midwest is probably a little, a little different too. And it's it's nice to be around people of different cultures and ethnicities to to learn about the world. I, I think that is is so important to someone's educational journey. And a few weeks ago, there was a rally in front of the county council building where they brought in outsiders. Trump people that were close to the president, Michelle Malkin, a conservative ally of the president who runs a blog. And then on the other side, they had a protest, and it was all about 
immigration and they were protesting what they consider, and this is their words, illegal immigration. What did you think about that? What was your perspective on that? Um, I didn't witness the rally or the counter demonstration, mm -hmm. and I think uh, a lot of it is, is way too supercharged. Mm -hmm. um, conservatives say they're against illegal immigration, but be honest, a lot of the problems created by conservative business people who brought in illegal immigrants to work. And uh, Trump himself hired illegal immigrants. They just raided this uh, chicken processing plant in Mississippi. Those illegal immigrants are brought into work by Americans, American business people. And so um, there's a reason people are here to work, just because they're being attracted to work. Uh, similarly, they're being pushed out of their own countries because they're in chaos, and a lot of that chaos is due to US influence over the years and destabilizing governments. Um, you know, so I supported the Fostering Community Trust Ordinance that was brought forth by Julie Flakovich Carr a few years ago. It's a very controversial ordinance in the city. It passed three to two. Myself, Virginia Onley, and Julie Flakovich Carr voted for it. Uh, Bridget Newton and uh, Beryl Feinberg voted against it. Uh, but all it says is if any city staff member, including the police, but any city staff member, you cannot ask somebody, somebody their immigration status unless it's germane to the, to the business you're conducting. And has that paid off? Has that been a policy? What, how's that put into effect so now? It, it, what we did is we took an unwritten police policy and we made a written ordinance to be very clear. And it set parameters. I mean, it set parameters for the police. Our police can call upon federal agents if it, at their discretion if they want, but... You know, an unwritten policy is dangerous. You know, it's interpreted differently by different people. Um, if a police officer would have done something and been sued, he wouldn't have been protected. He or she wouldn't have been protected by the city necessarily because there was no written written policy that that police officer could have fallen back on. So by having something in black and white decided by elected officials, it just provides clarity. So. Um, Operationally speaking, they are already operating that way, so it wasn't a big change in our operations, but, but you really have to be clear. It's got to be elected officials who take the lead on that. I mentioned Hagerstown a few times throughout this podcast, and I it, it's a great segue into mentioning you've been on the council hiring the, the new police chief, uh, Victor Brito. How's that going? How's he doing? I think he's doing great, and it was basically a city manager selection, not our selection, as it should have been. Um, well, he, he brings a lot of uh, support uh, experience from both D.C. and Hagerstown, and um, it shows. He, uh, he's bringing professionalism to the city uh, police. Um, he's, he, when you talk to him about this or that issue, he knows exactly where he stands. He knows the history. He knows why we should do things the way we're doing them. I, I think I'm a big fan of his. He's been great. And I hear that he shows up everywhere. That he's very connected into the community. He's communicative. He gets back and responds. And if there's any public safety issue, he's on it immediately. That's right. And and so I, I you know, I'm very happy with him. I think our police force has been a very good police force, but you know, we, we need to grow it, and and we need to have professional standards uh, updated, uh, that kind of thing. Mark, on your website, you also list something called a behavioral ethics ordinance. You, you propose a behavioral ethics ordinance to address unfortunate behavior by a few of the elected. Do, are you singling anybody out, or are you highlighting some ethical challenges on the, the current com, uh, 
uh, county or regular rather the the council now right so uh, in my opinion uh, a few of the elected officials have been abusive from the dais they're bridget newton and barrel feinberg i'll name them but they've also taken it into the workplace behind the scenes and um, sometimes the, their behavior is egregious to the point that if they were city staff they'd be fired you, you said abusive, how so? Uh, shouting at people, uh, bullying people. Um, we've had a couple incidents behind the scenes where uh, city staff members have been mauled out by, by city elected. And they're, since you're not employees, I mean, we're elected, right? You're there till you're not elected. Anymore. But they're not your employees. I mean, I, right, and so um, I find myself counseling city staff about how to handle that and how to document it. And I shouldn't have to do that. And that's a big concern of yours. It is. The other part of it is, is uh, we're, we're, by charter, we cannot give orders to city staff. You know, we decide policy and the city manager carries that out. And uh, the city manager, what we're seeing is, uh, if people can't get something on the dais, then they try to order city staff to do it anyway. And that, that's another kind of poison. What's the, what is the tenor of the current city council? What's the atmosphere like? Do you all get along? There's one candidate running, Brigitte Mulligan, who has associations with some, uh, I want to say, some right-wing organizations, Montgomery County Republicans, um, who are decidedly pro-Trump. Does her candidacy concern you whatsoever? You know what's refreshing, and I interview a lot of public officials, candidates, politicians, and I got to tell you, you, you put it out there. I like that. I like that you answer a question directly. That's very refreshing in this culture of politics, Mark. I'm serious. You, you address head-on your concerns with members of the council and ethics ordinances, and it's nice that you just call it out. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Well, and um, the other thing is, uh, people accept it. If even if they don't agree with me, they accept that I'm telling it the way I believe it, and they appreciate it. Um, I have yeah. a lot of detractors in the city, uh, but um, what are they? What are they detractors about? What issues specifically? Just out of Peace Corps, my wife was also volunteering in Africa. 
and I just put her through grad school, and we didn't have a down payment, and we needed to live somewhere, and, and so that was a great place for her. So I mentioned that I live in Crystal City, and all of a sudden people say, well, Mark wants to make Rockville into Crystal City, and that's not true, but that's a kind of innuendo and, and false claim that I've had to fight ever since, but since I've lived in high density, and I never thought I would, but I did, it's, it's actually wonderful for some families, and you know, it keeps me out of the car. It kept me out of the car uh, for most of those nine years. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't jamming anybody's street, and I was uh, very um, unnoticeable to anybody uh, out in the burbs, and, and yet I contributed to the community and to the economy. You've been on the council now, and you've, you've, you've faced issues head-on. And in the last couple of years, what do you think are the biggest issues to come before the council that you've all tackled together collectively? Oh, uh, we haven't been very collective on these <laughs> issues, uh, really. Um, you, you know, the thing is, a lot in the city revolves around there's too much traffic, the schools are overcrowded. Um, you know, what really, you know, should we subsidize drug aid a half a million dollars a year? And I stopped that. Um, you stopped that? I did, absolutely. It, just you, or I mean, how did well, that? Uh, um, I certainly forced the issue. And the, um, eventually we went with the Billy Casper management of the golf course that did not work out. But what was really um, uh, outstanding about that issue is that, uh, you know, there are some people who thought spending half a million dollars a year to subsidize golf was the correct thing for Rockville to do. And there's, you know, Montgomery County Revenue Authority has something like nine courses. There's other public courses around the county plus some private courses. We didn't need to subsidize golf at half a million a year. It's a lot of money. It is. It's a lot of money that could be spent differently. And you have you have a say in the budget. Tell me about that. What are some of your priorities for the budget? Well, I certainly um, am pushing to re repurpose King Farm Farmstead and adaptive reuse. I've been working on that since 2009. And, and really, I've been told uh, by some people in Peerless Rockville, our historic preservation society, that I'm the only elected who's ever really taken that on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, it resulted in a study of the conditions of the building. They're abysmal. Um, we eventually uh, did re-stabilize the dairy barns, which was a horse barn that we just shored up internally so it wouldn't collapse in a snowstorm. Um, it would take 10, well, minimally uh, 10 to 20 million, probably on the higher side, to actually or the city itself to refurbish it to make it a recreational space. And that's a lot of money. Uh, we just heard, uh, just got some figures for utilities. It's almost $5 million just to put in enough sewer, water, electricity, that kind of stuff, plus some security, uh, sprinkler systems, that kind of thing, just to do the utilities. Hmm. Interesting. Also on your website, you bring up an issue that I haven't heard discussed too often. And you mentioned a council vacancy, of course, last year, Julie Polakovich Carr, who also represents District 17, where I live, was elected to the Maryland House of Delegates. She is a former Rockville City Councilwoman. And then this, this issue comes forward to the council, where you think a candidate selection process would be somewhat simple. People interview, and then you pick. And you mentioned, but it didn't, I, I want to say, it didn't go that way. <laughs> you proposed... It, it failed, and you proposed a tie-breaking clause to the candidate selection process when there is a vacancy, 
and the remaining body cannot agree on a replacement. Nobody, so a replacement was not agreed upon by this council. What, and then they just decided we'll just throw it to the election, right? Well, uh, once we could decide on a replacement, by default, the election is going to take care of it. Unfortunately, that came along in the same calendar year. Uh, but I, I want to clarify that um, I twice tried to reopen the process to select a fifth person. And Virginia Omni supported me, but Beryl Feinberg and Bridget Newton did not. Um, it, it, we had 21 great candidates. It wasn't a qualification problem. It was a perceived ally problem. A perceived what? Ally problem. Okay. So, what does that mean? Okay. So um, Julie, Virginia, and I were Team Rockville members. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, to the extent that you had voting blocks, that was the voting block. And um, so once she left, all of a sudden you had a two-to-two voting block. And so if you're selecting a fifth person, you're, you're, you might even be flipping the whole, uh, the whole uh, orientation of the elected body, depending on who you selected. And so um, the first, you know, the five who we interviewed as finalists, I, I think they all had this one way or another somebody perceived them as being an ally of the other side. So it was a two to two. Right, and so, uh-huh. but um, what, I pr- what I propose is either we just, okay, thank the five that were finalists and go on to the next, you know, we had three more, three others who were fairly highly ranked and, and interview the next three, or just to say to the first uh, five finalists, we're, okay, we're, we're past you, but we're gonna re-interview the rest. So my understanding is that James was one of the finalists who's running now, and uh, Monique? Yes, Monique Ashton. Monique Ashton. And who was the other finalist? Um, boy, going back. Uh, Bob Wright was a, a finalist. Eugene Thurlock was a finalist. Um, isn't one of the candidates, or isn't one of the finalists now running somebody's campaign? Yeah, well, that was part of the problem with Ms. Wright. And, and I, I, he's a friend of mine. I like him a lot. Uh-huh. But it wasn't disclosed that he was Farrell's campaign manager. And I, oh. And, and I, uh, I, I thought that was wrong. You think that's unethical? Well, you certainly put it all out there tonight, and this was a, look, like I said, I've interviewed a lot of people over the last five years when I first kicked this podcast off. This, I have to tell you, this is one of the most refreshing interviews. Um, Also, the, I've I've had the comptroller on a number of times, Peter Francho, and Peter always puts it right out there, which is, I like that. So, so, you know, I've run, this my sixth election, and I won three, I've lost two, I don't know how this will turn out, I get bad press all over the place. But it's, it's the will of the people. I, I represent accurately what I am and what I believe and why. And it's up to the people to determine. And if they don't elect me, I'm okay with it. I'm not afraid to lose an election. I, I will advocate what I believe. And I'll do it honestly and forthrightly. If more people who were in elected positions said they aren't afraid to lose an election... I think that we would get a lot more accomplished because I see that we are stalled completely at the federal level because people are so afraid to speak outside of their respective political parties for what is right and for for what is the right answer rather than the political answer. Right. And, uh, I think social media has a lot to do with it. I think uh, the fact that if you don't toe the party line, you can get primaried. Yep. I think gerrymandering is a huge issue at the national level. I'll say if there's one issue on which Bridget and I totally agree, Bridget Newton, it's the gerrymandering is terrible. It is. And when the current uh, gerrymandered districts, congressional districts came forward, 
in, uh, in Maryland uh, in our first term. We both uh, looked at it and, 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 and we actually passed a resolution at the county level, that, at the city level that we had sent to all other municipalities and counties to try to get some support for having better congressional districts. Well, Mark, I live here, I live in the 6th district, you live in the 8th, and the 6th district, as you know, goes from Potomac all the way up to Deep Creek Lake in western Maryland. That, that is, that's an unreasonable district. And, and some of the uh, districts around Baltimore are... The third is like, yeah. It's hideous, and, and it, it's, it's very unreasonable. their voters rather than the other way around. I, I think uh, if we had uh, even a third of our congressional districts in play every election, uh, you would see a lot more moderation because that's, you, you know, you, you would be aware that this district can go from Republican to Democrat and back very easily, and, and therefore those candidates have to be moderate. Instead, where the fringe seems to be controlling both ends of the political yeah. process. Uh, and by the way, uh, just so people are aware, and I know it's non-political, non-partisan election, I'm unaffiliated, and I, I really have problems with both parties, but the, they, they both gerrymander when they have a chance. <laughs> Mark, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up from there. Thank you so much for coming on, and I really appreciate your time and this discussion. I can't wait to post it, and I think that, look, I'm going to post it on social media, and that has a way to, to spread, but you put it out there tonight, and I'm, I'm really glad that we had this opportunity. So any final thoughts about this election? Um, I'm very hopeful that uh, more and more people take the opportunity. It's been made so easy for them to vote. And, you know, um, so many men and women have died in wars to um, keep our right to vote. And, and this whole country was created because we didn't like a monarchy. <laughs> and you know, people should not be disillusioned. It doesn't always go your way. You have to be persistent. But when you opt out of the voting, you're opting out of society. I think we all lose from that. Well, this has been a great discussion. Mark, best of luck as you face off against your other opponents and moving into the general election. And uh, please stay in touch, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's all right. been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a Minor Detail podcast. Remember to call Care Plus Home Health today at 301-740-8870. Discover how they can help mom and dad or an aging family member live safer and healthy inside their home.